to pastor over our marriages, Grace Marriage. And I want to welcome all of our online viewers as well, uh, wherever you're watching. And thank you for coming uh, to church this morning. Thank you for being with us. Welcome back to our series. We kicked off a uh, series, The Fear of God, uh, last week that Pastor Steve kicked off uh, based on a book by John Bevere called The Awe of God. And just like uh, Pastor Steve mentioned last week, this book did a number on me. It wrecked me and challenged me. And, um, and I'm going to share some stuff today that I've wrestled with God this week. And, uh, and I know that uh, he's given me great peace because I know that I, I have a church home uh, that I know that has listening ears that will embrace what God has to say to them. Now, something happened to me late last year. I've been sharing my testimony for two and a half decades, uh, for years all over the country, of what God did for me. And, and, but he changed something in my testimony, and I believe that that change that he made prepared me for this series and for the rest of my life that I'm supposed to share this moment that happened that up until last year, I never shared in my testimony. And most of you know my story. And one Sunday later this year, I'm going to come back and share the whole testimony. Most of you know that I grew up in East Harlem, New York City, right in the middle of Spanish and Black Harlem. Uh, my mom raised me and my two sisters by herself because my dad left when I was six months old. Got to experience a lot of hard things growing up as a child uh, in the middle of Harlem. Uh, I had an absent father wound. I was exposed to a lot of life-threatening uh, situations, got sexually assaulted as a 12-year-old. I was put in a position where I was always fighting for my life. As a result of that, I had so much fear and anxiety, and I started packing away pain in my life that I could never, ever manage. And I started resorting to drugs and alcohol. Like, actually, I was dealing drugs as a 12-year-old, running errands for mafia guys. And, and as a result, I had no idea what my identity was. I was afraid. I was angry. I was bitter. I was prideful. I was, I was a narcissistic person. I was a train wreck. But God had given me a gift, and that gift was the ability to play basketball at a very high level. The NBA was going to be my destiny. I had a 44-inch vertical leap. I could jump out of the gym, dunk a basketball any way that you want. Now I'm only dunking donuts, and I'm only jumping to conclusions. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's how I was going to be rich and famous. That's how I was going to make it out of a, a place like East Harlem. And that's the only thing that I knew that was my only plan. Didn't want anything to do with God. And I was angry. I was bitter. Doing dr I mean, I was just, again, like I said, I was a train wreck. Basketball didn't turn out the way it should have uh, through my own personal destructive behaviors. Uh, but when I got to college and I transferred uh, to Kentucky, I met my wife Carolyn there. Something happens when you meet a Kentucky girl, I can tell you that much. And amen is right, good man. Um, we got married, fell in love, got married. Uh, we had a daughter, Carolyn gave birth to our daughter, Kristen. Uh, and you, marriage didn't go as planned. I, I didn't know what the concept of love was, didn't know how to love, didn't have Jesus Christ in my heart. And when basketball didn't turn out the way it should have, I... I, I I didn't know how to manage that type of pain, and I took my drug use to a whole new level. I became self-destructive. I was selfish. Uh, uh, I have no one to blame but me. I, I, I just did so many destructive things, and I, and I started living a secret double life for almost a decade, seven, eight years, I don't know how many years, of having hideous affairs, and I was, I was just so far gone and so lost, and Carolyn 
wants to move back to Kentucky, and we do, and same old habits, same old issues resurface, and I'm just, I'm just worn out. But Carolyn renews her faith in Jesus Christ. She gave her life to Jesus when she was a teenager and recommits her life, starts praying. She's always been a praying woman, hears from God, moves here, and then she, gets, she enlists people to pray for me. When God gets involved, things come to a head. And because one day she walked in on a conversation that I was having with someone else, and in one split second, my whole secret lifestyle was exposed, and we were done as a couple. There was no way she could ever forgive me. There's no way we could ever be reconciled. There's no way she could ever trust me ever again. And the only thing I knew at that moment at at time in my life was that I lost my family. And then we were done. And we had a meeting to talk about the details of the divorce. But before that meeting... A pastor prayed a simple prayer over her, and on the drive home, she can tell you where the Holy Spirit came into her car and filled that car up. And when she walked through the house that night, it was not my wife that walked through the house. She was filled with the glory of God. I saw something on her I'd never seen. And when she started to speak, I knew it was God speaking to me for the first time I could hear his voice. Because she looked at me with a confidence and she said, Bill, God would never give up on you. And I'm not going to give up on you. And God can forgive you for anything that you've ever done. And then she said this, and so can I. You know, friends, to this day, she's never held me hostage to my past life. Yeah, it's amazing. She said, I don't know if I could forget what you've done. But I'm willing to give it a try if you're willing to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I knew at that moment that that was God speaking to me. And I knew at that moment that God just revealed his love to me by giving my wife the supernatural ability to love and forgive me and introduce me to what real love looks like and salvation. And I knew that that was God calling me home. And I saw my life pass before me. And then I heard the voice of God. And here's what I heard. If you don't accept me tonight, you will surely die. And I was dying. Later found out I had a disease that I needed a miracle, and God healed me. But I share all that, and you all know the rest of the story, but I'm not going to share that this morning. You'll have to come back for that next Sunday. I share my whole testimony. But here's what happened that night. I experienced two things simultaneously. Oh, I also want to tell you that This April 28th, me and Carolyn will be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. I experienced at once, simultaneously, the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of God all at once. But at the same time, when God said, if you don't accept me tonight, you will surely die, I also experienced the fear of God and the wrath of God. And friends, that was a good thing. And it's changed my life. And I've never been the same. And I want to tell you that fear of God has never left me. I want to tell you that the relentless love, grace, and mercy of God has never left me. And the utmost respect for the Lord has never left me which is why I choose to honor and obey God because of my love and gratitude for him, but also because of my fear of him. 
See, I can't grow in my faith, get discipled, or reach my full potential as a follower of Jesus without the holy fear of God. Now, most people don't talk about the fear of God because, let's face it, in the church today, it's not a popular thing to talk about. But the two most crucial biblical truths that can never be compromised, dumbed down, reimagined, reinterpreted, reconstructed, or whatever people are doing to justify their own faith and walk with the God they are forming and not conforming to is the complete picture of who God is and the full counsel of God found in Genesis to Revelation. The Lord and the word of God is not like going to Golden Corral, all-you-can-eat buffet, where you just have, I'll have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I don't think I'm going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that today. And so we leave out a little bit of this and a little bit of that because it doesn't fit our values, doesn't fit our lifestyle, doesn't fit who we are. See, I can't get to where God wants me to be just following a God of grace. I can't get to where God wants me to be just following a God of truth. I can't get to where God wants me to be just following a God of love. I've got to experience all of God, all his attributes, his entire character. And so I've got to share a bunch of scriptures that are hard to reconcile but necessary. And I prayed hard and hard. I'm going to share a bunch with you. And here's the first one, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, which says, therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, notice that word obedience in there, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. Everybody say work out. Notice it doesn't say work for. You know, the devil's been a master at years for just taking one word, twisting it, and making people believe that they have to work for their salvation. But it says work out your salvation because you are saved. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in in order to fulfill his good purpose. So friends, our salvation is not worked out with loving kindness and holy hugs from Jesus. Those things are good, but it's worked out with fear and trembling. And by the way, this book and series has convinced me of how I need to communicate the fear of God more effectively. I've preached many messages on not fearing, how fear is a bad thing, how God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind, how perfect love cast out all fear, but not all fear is bad fear. There's good fear and there's bad fear. And there are hundreds of scriptures that talk about bad fear. But there's also a couple hundred scriptures that talk about good fear. Fear God. And we have to reconcile and we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit to know when we see fear not, don't fear, whether that's good fear or bad fear. So what is it? Should we fear or fear not? That is the question. Don't laugh at stuff like that. There's a difference between holy fear 
and unholy fear. Do you know that? Now, when Jesus came, he came what? Full of grace, full of truth, full of love, but also full of wrath. Not one over the other, not one before the other, just full of all of it. Yes, he demonstrated incredible mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness like no one else can. And no one else will ever match that. But he also gave bone-chilling warnings of the wrath of God. And we tend to leave those warnings and hard statements of Jesus out of the conversation. And let's face it, some scriptures are more difficult to reconcile than others. But I want to tell you today, that's a good thing. And it doesn't mean that we discard them just just to justify our values and beliefs or feed our emotional desires to make others feel good about how I live for Jesus. And unfortunately, this is just how many churches and pastors operate these days. So let me echo something that Steve said last week. I am really, really blessed and honored to serve at a church where the fear of the Lord is not just spoken about, but lived out by so many of you. And I will tell you, that's not the norm. It's just not the norm. I mean, reading this book by John Bevere, he stated a study uh, that from the year 2000 to 2020, 40 million people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have left the faith. And half of them profess to be called non-Christians. The other half are called atheists and agnostic. What happened? What happened? 40 million. Could it have been that they were never exposed or never taught the fear of God, which is so essential? Pastors are quitting at an alarming rate. One in five pastors will quit the ministry this month in the state of Kentucky. And depending on which study you read, anywhere from 250 to 1,500 pastors a month are quitting the ministry in America. What's happening? And a recent study by George Barner, just this past year, 2023, they surveyed thousands of people in America. And out of the thousands of people that they surveyed, 68% of them said that they were born-again Christians where they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the survey was done to see how many of those professed Christians had what's called a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists, that such truth is defined by the Bible and firm belief in the following six religious views. And here they are. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. I see the heads nodding. Not a problem, right? God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. We, We agree with that, right? Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned. Satan is real. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people, right? And six, the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. I'm looking at the heads. I'm saying, yes, I'm hearing the amens. I would guess in a room like this, which is why I'm so proud to to be part of your family, that 
that if you said yes to all those questions, you have what's called a biblical worldview. And I would guess that it's close, maybe 98, 90, maybe close to 100% of you do have what's... And they left out an important question. Do you believe that hell is real and it's eternal? If they put that in there, the percentage would have dropped down significantly. So how many people out of that 68% do you think agreed with those six questions and views, maybe three quarters, half, what do you think? How many? A third, 25%, are you ready? 4%. 4%. Think about that. I had experienced this in the church world that I worked at before I got here. Thousands upon thousands would come and hear a message they wanted to hear, but never a message truthful and convicting enough to change the way they lived. And I speak to people all the time, and I want to ask you the same question. Are you comfortable or convicted when you come here? I remember being on staff, and I received, we got a, something was passed out and it was a list of about 50 or so words and phrases that we were forbidden to say at the church. This is a, this is a Christian church that believes in Jesus Christ. And they said, don't ever say these words ever again. And let me go through the list. First one on, on the list was sin. They said, no, that's legalistic. We're not going to talk about sin. And then they said, don't mention the blood. That's too gory. And repentance, they said, oh, no, no, don't, don't mention the word repentance. They said, instead of repentance, just say walk this way. Walk with Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, you go. And so you're just walking with him. And you'll bump into him. You'll walk with him. And that's it. You just walk this way. Just walk, just walk with the Lord. Obedience. So that's too harsh and offensive. Never say Bible study. Just call it a group gathering because the Bible is offensive to some people. Sanctification. Well, that's just a churchy word. The cross, we definitely don't mention the cross. Some people, you know what they're calling the cross today? Cosmic child abuse. Atonement, that's Old Testament. Hell, we definitely don't go there. Sacrifice, that's just a pagan practice of killing animals. You you think it, I mean, I'll I'll give you an example. If if that doesn't, if that doesn't shock you, this may, and and watch, watch how subtle it is. It wouldn't be uncommon to have a message preached, and then to give an altar call. And thousands upon thousands throughout the years have said yes to this type of altar call, not realizing what they were actually praying. And the message would go something like this. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. My, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. I mean, don't you, isn't it comforting to know that if you're burnt out in life and you're worn out and you need a fresh beginning, you don't have to get it together to come to Jesus. You come to him and he puts you back together. And if you're tired and you need a new beginning and you need saving, you need saving from yourself, you need to know what real love is because all you have to do is look to Jesus and that's real love. And that love wants to be a part of your life. That love wants to save you. 
And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So pray this with me. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, say, Jesus, I need you. And I need you now. I, I need you to save me. And I'm just saying this with all, of my, all the sincerity I have. And I just accept you. I want to walk. I want to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. And then they would tell them to get baptized. And tell the world that you're living for Jesus. And then, then thousands upon thousands would say that prayer. And they don't ever say it again. And they were never, they were never taught what I'm telling you this morning. That, did that prayer sound good, by the way? It, there was something missing in the prayer. And that's the word repentance. And the Bible says repent. Believe and repent. And turn from your sins. You don't need saving from yourself. We need saving from our sins. And the only way we're going to get into heaven is if we're forgiven. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how bad you are, the only thing that matters is how forgiven you are. And when we repent and turn and then walk with Jesus, then live for him, it's that repentance and really believe that I want to turn from how I've lived without, like you don't exist, and I want to obey you and follow you, make you the Lord, not just Savior of my life, but the Lord of my life. And so millions, of, uh, another example is that when I got to my church, I had a worship leader approach, this is the worship leader, approach me and say, I had a problem with what you just preached about. I was doing a, a thing for our youth, and they asked me the question, does God hear us if we willfully sin? I gave them my normal answer, and the worship leader approached me and said, don't you think that obedience is too much pressure on self? I said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I said, it's really a lot of pressure because God's a God of love and grace, and he's going to forgive us anyway. Why obey? So let me get this straight. You don't believe in repentance. Of course not. I said, do you believe in hell? Of course not. I said, what if there was a hell? If there was a hell, because God's a God of love, he's going to rescue us anyway. So why put so much pressure on self when God's above it all and his love is going to cover a multitude of sins? And so, um, and what I experienced was there's no fear of God, no fear of hell, no fear of judgment. No fear of adding and deleting words from the Bible. So I'm going to share a bunch of scriptures with you today. Like when I took an oath and it got ordained as a pastor, I had to reconcile this passage. And this passage, when I read it, still makes me tremble with fear. And this is how the Bible ends, by the way. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things, Jesus, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Now, open up the New Testament, and from time to time, and from the moment, rather, that Jesus began to preach, he had one central message. That he preached wherever he went, in every town, to every city, to every person, every single person heard this one central message found in Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's it. Of course, he preached about other things, but that was his one central message. So if you look and study the life of Jesus, which is important to do, he calls his disciples, he heals the sick. And then while he's talking about heaven and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, he's also talking about hell. And he tells us how to live and store up treasures in heaven. He tells us how valuable we are. Therefore, we shouldn't worry. He, tell, he teaches us how to pray. But then in the middle of all that, while all that's great and wonderful, and he's on a miracle healing tour, casting out demons and all this stuff, he just stops. And he says this. He gives a stark warning that the road is narrow. And only a few of the believers who think there are believers, who think they are saved, who think they're going to heaven, but they're not, they're going to get rejected. And this is a scripture I've had to reconcile that's actually, one, I had to make sure that I'm doing what the Apostle Paul says, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith, unless, of course, you failed the test. And here's what he says out of the blue. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, don't confuse work, works with grace. We don't get into heaven by our works, but the evidence that we're saved by grace is that we do works because we are saved by grace and we are going to heaven. And if we don't do works because we are saved by grace through faith, then it's debatable that we got saved in the first place. And that's why he says, many, and that's the word that makes me tremble with fear. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? But then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. It's not like he doesn't know us. He knows who we are. But they were saying, but we did these things to get into your kingdom. And he's saying, but what about what I've done for you? I know who I am. But where's my life found in you? And then he continues to do miracles, healing sick people, casting out demons, raising a dead girl back to life. And then in the middle of that, a disciple came to him because he looked at everyone and said, follow me. And the disciple said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. That's cold. Could it be that Jesus is from New York? I don't know. Here's what he's really saying. He's basically saying, if you want to follow me, come and, come and see, follow me, go and tell. That's the Jesus model of leadership. If you want to follow me, follow me means Forsake your life and go all in because I went all in for you. He does this so everyone would repent and follow him 
so that they would love him back. And I'm going to build a case for you today so that you can understand that the fear of God enables you to take your love for him to a whole new level. He does this so everyone would forsake their lives and live for him, that they would know how valuable they are, how deeply they are loved. You'll never know how deeply you're loved until you have the fear of God surging in your veins. He spoke and taught in such a way it would be impossible for anyone to miss what he was saying. And then, back to the healing miracle tour, he's ministering to thousands of people, preaching repentance, preaching about the kingdom, forgiving people, loving people. And then out of the blue, he stops and he turns and he says this. He began to denounce the towns in which most, not everyone, not every person, most of his miracles had been performed. And why? They didn't repent. He said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been repeat, repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bear, bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed don't, had been performed in Sodom, it would, it would have remained to this day, but I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is the New Testament, and he's denouncing people who didn't repent, saying it's going to be worse for them than what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no confusion in what he was saying. And so here's the deal, people. Jesus came full of grace, full of truth, full of love, full of wrath. Now, I know that word sounds, I just, listen. It's not wrath against us. It's wrath against sin. God's still a holy God. And the Father, just like Julie prayed as we started the service, has placed all authority in the hands of his son. So here's Jesus. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I am love. I am grace. I am wrath. I am fury. I'm in charge. I'm on the throne. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the Lion of Judah. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am the King of Kings. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am Jesus Christ. And I say all of that, God is good. He gets the glory. I say all of that to teach you today. Because this is what God's been teaching me. That there is a difference between holy fear and unholy fear. And we need to know the difference. St. Francis de Sales said this, we must fear God out of love and not love him out of fear. Oswald Chambers said, when we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God with his love at the center of that holiness. Now, because of the lack of fear, good holy fear, there's this mindset. I mean, I've been counseling people for a long, long time. 
And there's this mindset in the body of Christ everywhere that I can continue to live in sin as a follower of Jesus Christ without repercussion once I have been forgiven and saved. And and I've had to reconcile this passage. And I'm going to give it to you so that you can reconcile. Some passages don't need teaching on you. You just need to put it up there. In the book of Hebrews, nobody... um, Nobody knows for sure who the writer is. Some scholars say it's the Apostle Paul, but whoever it is, this is one of the most bone-chilling scriptures in the New Testament. It says this in Hebrews 10, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? And here it is, who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it's mine to avenge, I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. And it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. But I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are being saved. We all have to reconcile that. That's just not me preaching to you. That's God challenging me to make sure I stay on the right path. So Steve, Uncle Steve says, Bill, why don't you just take the next segment of the book, seven chapters, titled Revealed as We Are. And it has three, you think those scriptures are hard? He gave me three, the, 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 the whole segment starts with three of the hardest scriptures that someone has to preach. And here's one of them. And it says this, for we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay. Now, everyone, most of you know here that the judgment seat of Christ is the second judgment. It's not the judgment whether we get into heaven or not. That's not in question. I'll I'll get to that in just a second. But this is a different judgment. It's a second judgment. So that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motives I'm going to be, I'm going to have to stand before the Lord. Tell them what, tell them what my motives were. What I achieved, what I didn't achieve. What I didn't do, what I was supposed to do. What I've been busy with. What I gave my attention to. Come on. 
And John Bevere makes the case that there should be holy fear with trembling over that day. But again, that's not a bad thing. Now, I, 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 love, I love the fact that we're a Bible-teaching, believing church. And I said this when I was to a group of guys a couple weeks ago. The three most important books in our life, most of us know this. The Bible, what's the second most important book in your life? The Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in that book or it's not? And, that, and we have to know, and God wants us to know that we know that we know that we're saved. And that nothing could ever take that away from us. But then there's another book. And that's the book of remembrance. That's the book that's written about us. I think David said in Psalm 40, said, it is written, me, it is written about me in your book that I delight to do your will. Same David who wrote Psalm 139 that said, all the days of my life were recorded in your book even before you laid the foundations of earth. So there's this book, and I want to ask you today, what's written in heaven's book about you? And I've always said that life is just one lifelong interview for our eternal position in heaven. And there's three books, two judgments, and the first judgment is where we're going to spend eternity. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins, turning from your sins, putting your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and making the decision to walk with him the rest of your life, the Bible says that we're saved. And we don't have to worry about where we're going to spend eternity. But then there's this second judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me clarify what this is. Sin is not in view in this judgment. That was paid for by Christ. But the only thing that's going to be in view is is what do we do with Jesus once we got saved? What do we do? Did we listen to the Holy Spirit that told us what to do? Did we obey that voice, that leading? And then in this second judgment, selfish works of those done with wrong motives are going to be burned up. And that's what the Bible talks about, wood, hay, and stubble. Matter of fact, here's how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, those are the good things. Wood, hay, and straw, those are bad things. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. Notice the capital D, the day, the judgment seat of Christ, the second judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Which, by the way, the Bible talks about crowns that... The rewards that you get are the crowns that are not yours anyway. We're just going to lay them at the feet of Jesus, and it was all for you anyway. But watch this. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, again, salvation is not in question. But watch this. But only as through fire. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to when I breathe my last breath, get into heaven by my free get out of hell card. Because all I did was put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but I didn't do anything with it. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
I want to do what God calls me to do. And friends, I've got a lot to answer for. I do. Now, works of lasting value to the Lord are going to survive. And he's not going to forget everything that we've done in the name of Jesus Christ. And to make matters worse, Steve gave me this section. The section that I was supposed to preach on starts out with two scriptures that are supposed to be the focal point of this whole lesson. And here's the first scripture that I was supposed to build everything around, found in Luke 12, 5, which says, I tell you whom to fear. This is the words of Jesus. I tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Now, now, here's, now, here's why you need to reconcile the full counsel of God and the full picture of God's character. Because if you stop there, and a lot of people will stop there and say, oh, I'm not going to follow God like that. That's too harsh. But all you have to do is go to the next verse in 6 and 7. Watch what he says next. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. Good fear. You are more value than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but have fear. I love what Steve talked about last week that he built this talk around Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Friends, that wisdom and knowledge will give you the ability, and you need this, I need this, the ability to discern what is holy fear and what is unholy fear. Here's another quote by Oswald Chambers. The remarkable thing about God is that when, you're, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't, do not fear God, you fear everything else. How many people know that to be true? And then the third passage I was supposed to preach about was found in Acts chapter 5, which I'm not going to do. It's about Ananias and Sapphira. In the early church, they were, they were all in one accord. They prayed together. They sold their possessions. Many of them would sell their property when people were in need and give all the proceeds to the church. And then here's this one couple that sold a piece of property and they decided to keep some of the money back and their intent was they weren't, they weren't going to be honest about the offering. And so the husband comes in, tells Peter, Peter knows right away because he's filled with the Spirit. He tells them, why would you grieve the Holy Spirit? Why would you lie? And God zaps him and he dies right there on the spot. Then his wife comes in and you would think Peter says, be careful what you say. He doesn't. She says the same story, and he, he goes, you, you see that? That's the feet of your husband. They're burying him. You're next. Boom, she dies. Oh, I got to preach on that. Ushers, come forward. They're ready to take up an offering. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that to you. Gotcha. Listen. One of, the, one of the, the blessings that I have each and every day is I get to wake up to the most unbelievable person in the world, and that's my dog, Derby. Uh, that's my wife, Carol. 
If you knew Derby, you would, you would understand. Uh, I, love, I love the fact that we get to do life together. And I'm always, you know, I, I study the book of Hebrews intensely because I make her a cup of coffee every day because Hebrews. And, you know, I know. Stop it. Stop it. And for the last couple of years, she's been doing the Bible recap, reading through the Bible. And it's, it's, it's actually quite run, wonderful. You can listen to the Bible. You can read the Bible. And then they give a little commentary. And I've been doing that with her. And uh, I've got my own study plan. And then uh, the commentary was about Moses uh, last week or the week before. And here's the scene. It's Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. God says, I want to come down to my people. I want to be with them and I want to talk to them. And he gives Moses instructions. And this is an intense scene. It's right before he's about to give them the Ten Commandments. Let's pick it up in chapter 19. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. He told them don't have sexual relations. Not that that was a bad thing. It was, a, it was, a, it was all about cleanliness. It was all about consecration. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He said, but put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. God is coming down from heaven to speak to his people. It's the mountain of God. There's thunder like you've never seen. There's lightning. There's smoke. There's a loud trumpet blast. It's intense. It's powerful. And I find this so interesting. And God looks at Moses, tells Moses, he says, come closer. And Moses comes closer. And that's a good thing. Then he says, go get Aaron. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. We don't have time to get into all of them. But before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says, I am Yahweh. I am your God. I brought you out of slavery. And so in his words to Moses and the people, God tells them who he is, who they are to him before giving them his laws. And I love the fact that God always starts with relationship. And then he goes into idols, not having other gods. You shall have no gods before me. And the second word that he gives them is about idols and images, and it points to our natural inclination to worship things above Jesus Christ and our Lord. And he says, I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. But we have to understand, if we just read that and don't look into what that means, and if you look at the original language, God's jealousy is not like our jealousy. God's jealousy is protective, and it's zealous. And then he talks about his name. That we're to take his name seriously. We're to, take, we're to carry his name. And he calls us to live lives that align with his name. And this word prohibits any insincere use of his name. Friends, we are not to take the name and any name of the Lord lightly. God's name represents his character and his actions. Friends, doubting his character, doubting his love, his justice, his motives, his grace, saving power in our hearts, be careful. Be careful. Don't use God's name out of context for anything. 
Go to Exodus 20. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, now it's intense. It's even more intense. And heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. And and watch this. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We don't want to hear from God. And we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And this, is so, and this has been going on for years. That people have been so afraid to get into the presence of God, to hear God's voice for themselves. To get into the holy of holies. Where God has broken the curtain, is torn, and we have access to God's presence. But you tell me about God. I'll go to a priest and he'll tell me about God. Steve's good at telling me about God. God wants you to hear from him and he wants you to get into his presence with a holy fear and not an unholy fear. Now watch this. Moses said to his people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you and here it is, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. You can't stop sinning without the fear of God surging through your veins. The people remained at a distance, and that's sad to me, while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So let me ask you again, what is it? To fear or not to fear? See, unholy fear carries the meaning of dread. Adam's sin and fear made him hide, and that's what's called sin-adjacent. That kind of fear drives us away from God. That kind of fear is either a response to sin, leads us to sin, or both. And Moses is telling them that this kind of fear is not the fear that they should have. And then he said, God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. This is a different word for fear in Hebrew. See, holy fear carries the meaning of reverence and awe, and it's joy adjacent that draws you to God instead of away from God, away from God. It has a sense of delight and awe and utmost respect, and this type of fear moves you towards him, but you still need to be careful not to move towards God irreverently. You ever been to Niagara Falls? I have. It's powerful. Get too close, on the edge, you die. Ever been to the Grand Canyon? I have. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's all. It's amazing. You look at it and go, wow, spell backwards. But if you get Don't laugh. If you get too close in the Grand Canyon, what happens? You die. If you get too close irreverently, there's a price to be paid. That's the type of fear we're supposed to have towards God. And that type of fear, friends, keeps us from sinning against him. It produces righteousness. And watch this. Here's the best thing about it. It gives us a desire to love God back. John Bevere said, we can only come into his presence with a heart, an attitude of reverence. 
And we have to reframe the way we think of the fear of the Lord. Unholy fear leads to judgment and wrath. Unholy fear leads to relationship, love, forgiveness, and freedom. Worship team, you can come on up. You know, for years, I would go back to New York after I got saved. You know, the two churches, I would go visit the Brooklyn Tabernacle with my friend Jim Simbler that came here last year. But the other church that I would visit even more that I got more deeply discipled at was Times Square Church where David Wilkinson and Carter Conlon and Nikki Cruz. And to this day, to this day, if there's a 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday morning service, I've got to get there at 8 o'clock just to get a seat for the 10 o'clock service. And then a little before 9 o'clock for a whole hour, everyone is in intercessory prayer. And the reverence and the fear of God and the anointing of God and the presence of God is there. And if I'm not there early, if I'm not there to, to come and worship and to love, but to come and work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not going to know what real love looks like. And the more I fear God and work out, not for my salvation with fear and trembling, you know what happens as a result? The love of God gets poured into my heart. And then I'm able to share that love with other people. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I was telling my friend Ron and the battle I had with, a good battle with what the Lord wanted me to say this Sunday. And he shared this verse with me in Psalm 103. And it says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And here it is. I, want to get, I wanted to give you the full picture of God this morning, not just one side, not just a side of wrath and judgment. I want to p- give you a picture of the Father's love for you. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Friends, that's good news. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, here it is, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. We're like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, generation to generation, from the beginning of time, for centuries and years to come, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. It's generational. It'll be passed down. Your fear and love of God will be passed down to your family, to your children, and their children, and their children. 
That's your legacy. That's your calling. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Remember that book of remembrance that David was talking about? Look what it says in Malachi. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Just like we're speaking about it today. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord paid attention. And he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in the day when I make up my treasured possession, you, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you will see the the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. I used to think that the sign over the church at Times Square Church was so offensive that they put up for years. But today I find it to be one of the most loving signs for a church building I've ever seen. And for years they had this sign up over the church. I don't know if it's still there today. But the sign read, Times Square Church. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a choice. What choice are you going to make today? Because today you heard the gospel. You heard how you can be saved. And if I ask you the question, do you know that you know that you know that you're saved and going to heaven? And the first thing that comes to your mind is what church you go to. You may not be saved. Or if you just accepted love, you know, years, for years I didn't know about this organization called Build-A-Bear. You can build your own bear. Really, really, you can put your own eyes in it, put your own hands in it, give it a name, and let it say whatever you want it to say. And for years now, and especially we live in the day and age, where there's an organization in the Church of Jesus Christ that's building their own build of Jesus. But you heard about the Jesus of the Bible today. And Jesus is saying, make a choice. Make a choice to accept my love. If you're tired, worn out, beat up, burnt out, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. If you need saving from your sins and you want an eternal home in heaven and you want to know what real love is all about, accept my love 
because God demonstrates his love in this. While we didn't want anything to do with God, he died for us. And his love is ready to wash your sins away and heal you and forgive you. I don't know about you, but working on this message, I got convicted of a lot of things. And God set me straight. Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Everyone, their heads bowed. Just repeat this after me. Say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And today, I repent of my sins, turn from my sins, and I turn to you, Lord Jesus. I believe with all my heart that you are the Christ. And I trust in your forgiveness and your forgiveness alone to write my name in heaven's book, never to be erased. It is my desire to fear you so that I can love you and obey you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I'll have the power to live the life that you died for. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship, if you prayed that prayer, don't leave this place. Come forward and tell one of us. If there's something you need to pray about or do business with God, come forward and let's worship.
boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no I felt no way. 
light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no because of this this book and um, the fear of the Lord and it's like I'll just say that is that we can be sloppy with the love of God this morning I was praying and I was talking to Julie this early this morning and these are the words that I was kind of hearing from the Lord was I had a sense that someone had um, Meniere's disease Meniere's disease yeah. yeah and the Lord wanted to heal you and this is a strange one that somebody had lost a fortune and the Lord is about to restore your fortune that you've lost. And then the next one is restoration of hearing, if you have hearing loss. The next one was, I saw weakness in legs. Um, I thought it was a left leg, but it's kind of like a nerve damage that may have occurred. The next one was liver damage. I had this picture of Jesus opening somebody's insides up and pointing to certain things that he wanted to heal, including also damage to the pancreas or pancreatic failure. And um, one about vision, I'm giving someone back their vision. And then the final one was I saw pain in somebody's jaw. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. I want you all to know um, 
we don't share it much, um, but I want to encourage you to come get prayer if that's any of you. There was someone who came up and got prayer last week for hearing loss um, that is now not wearing their hearing aids this week. So I do want to encourage you to continue to give praise to the Lord because he is moving in power here. He's moving in power. So if that's you, we would love to pray with you. I think God is taking our fear to a whole new level, our reverence and awe of him to a whole new level. I think God's getting us ready for something major, a great awakening, a revival. And I say, why not us? Why not us? There's too many of you praying for that. And not only just praying for it, living your life so holy and reverent, not perfectly, Nothing I said today was about perfection. But it's about going where he's calling us and living it out by his grace. If you made a decision to accept Jesus, please let us know. Come forward. If you need prayer for anything, just come forward. And thank you for worshiping with us today. Just leave quietly and God bless you. We love you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.